0: The ideas, the leaders, the lives that are
1: shaping Denmark and the world. From Blocks Hub in Copenhagen, Denmark, with your co hosts, Ed Lay and Thomas Molhern, this is Global Denmark.
0: Hello and welcome to the Global Denmark Podcast, where we explore how thought leaders and innovators are working to create a better Denmark and a better world. Today we have the pleasure of sitting down with Kim Bilson-Larsen. Kim is an award-winning journalist with an incredible career spanning 25 years so far on the front seat of history, as a correspondent in Palestine, in the US covering 9-11, and now DR's correspondent in the UK covering Brexit and the general election. In this wide-ranging conversation, we cover Brexit, the upcoming election, and its potential effects on the Danes in the UK and British citizens in Denmark. Without further ado, we bring you Kim Bilsund Larsen.
2: We are back. I am here, as always, with my co-host,
0: Mr Edley. Ed, how's life? good it's my my first week in long trousers and um, that's right and, yeah in, enjoying the weather here and the change but uh, keen to get started all right perfect
2: and we are here with today's uh, special guest who is uh, calling in from London and that is Kim bilsu Lesson. Kim can you hear us in, from London I hear you very well yes thank you very much <laughs> and thanks for having me absolutely good morning I guess it's uh, well you're an hour back so almost nine where you are Exactly. Trying to uh, get started
1: of the day. I'm uh, I'm doing a an interview later today about an hour's interview with John Burko, the uh, the former speaker of the house. All oh, right. The uh, that yes. that many people back home will will know he's almost sort of become sort of a a political celebrity because of his dealings in parliament, his order Um, That that has become sort of almost a symbol, I think, of of British uh, Parliament
0: and and of some of the um, issues that that the country is dealing with. So, Kim, um, when I first arrived here in Denmark two years ago, the first thing every Dane would ask me was what on earth is going on in Britain? And they were watching Brexit with horror. Today, they're watching with popcorn. What is what is going on with with Brexit? Can you give us kind of a, a sum up of, of of how it's come about and uh, and what's going on on the ground there, especially with the build up to the general election? Well, that's right. It's especially especially that. I mean, we've been through some months again
1: that have just been amazing to be a part of and to watch and to observe. Uh, and and you're absolutely right. Um, I think a lot of Danes are asking these questions and, and the interest for what's going on here is enormous. And, and, and also, like you say, people will be watching it almost, I think like a television series where you have a new episode every day or every week with mm-hmm. new twists and turns. We, we almost only need a murder um, to, to bring, you know, the, the story to, to that uh, level. And, and, um, but it, it's quite fascinating for I think especially outsiders to watch. I mean, many of my British friends and colleagues, they sort of uh, see me embarrassed and, and just feel that, you know, why are we going through this in this way? But for me, as a political journalist, I think, you know, watching a one of the oldest democracies in the world trying to redefine who they are, because I think basically that is what's happening. There's an enormous battle in the British society about where do we want to go in the future? Do we want to be the country that is part of this block of of countries that is the EU um, with um, trade and and political power? Or do we want to be something else? Do we want to be the uh, country that uh, try to seek deals with other countries that we used to have a closer relationship, the Commonwealth countries, for instance, do we want to be an independent nation in a broader sense, which, which many feels? And 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 it is just a very, very different vision of where the country uh should go. And that is the battle that's going on. And it, it's the battle that's been going on in Parliament, and it's also the battle that we'll we will see during this election. And okay. and it is interesting also just because. This is one of the oldest democracies trying to find out where it's going and with absolutely no plan of how we are going to deal with this very, very
2: complicated issue. Kim, what, uh, being on the ground, ha- do you think is the um, the best winning arguments for both sides, if you were going to kind of summarize? Well, why, why why Brexit and why Remain? Oh,
1: yeah.
2: well, I, I think... If you want to make
1: an argument for remain, I think it is that I think if in today's world with two major players in the U.S. and China, um, you can also argue maybe an, a third one with India, but definitely the two. I think if, if you want to make a European voice heard, I think there is no other way than to be strong together. And I, I think the idea that some Brits have that that this country will come back to its old glorious days and, and be a major super or mini superpower is a little naive to be. Um, if you look at the other uh, part, I think there are very good arguments for for making your own decisions that there is a democratic deficit in the EU, that if you, um, some of the laws that are negotiated in Brussels that then will be implemented in in the UK or in Denmark, for that matter, and nobody really has any idea of who is responsible for this, and if we don't like it, who are we actually in the next election going to punish? Um, so that I think that there there is a there is an argument for being on um, a democratic argument, and maybe also an argument for coming together in, in this very complicated world that if if you want to make decisions or you want to have a country that's that's united that you need a decision making process that is closer to your home than something that is far away i think these are but but listen you can argue for both sides in a long time i think it really depends very much on what basic vision you have
0: for the future of of your country kim there's a there's a strong belief um among the, uh, the, um, the Brexiters that they were lied to in order to um, make this vote to go in the direction that uh, of Brexit, of Boris, the direction Boris wants it to go in by sharing lots of misinformation, things that basically, misinformation, lies, basically, um, in order to manipulate a vote... Facts alternative facts, in order to manipulate a vote so that enough people would want to leave. Then we see that on the 1st of January, there's to be uh, an EU investigation into people using um, into billionaires using um, Europe, finding tax havens, Mm, and mm. that a lot of those individuals are in the UK, and that maybe Brexit is an elaborate ploy to have the UK remain a tax haven. Have you heard much about that? And, and can you speak to that? You know, one of the things that really has amazed me, to
1: be quite frank, is the amount of misinformation that is around. And I will also say the amount of misinformation that the British press is willing to convey. I think the what has happened to the British press, and it's not only with Brexit, but has become sort of and they are part of the they're part of the fight. I mean, if you read, you know, I will often get asked by people back home, what what is what is sort of the main story of the British press today? And I will say, well, you can pick and choose what you want, because it all depends on which part of the argument you want to enhance. And, and you know, if you want something that is a that is giving your all ideas about Brexit a, you know, then you read The Telegraph or The Sun or The Daily Mirror and, 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 and you will find misinformation at a level which astonished me that, you know, mm-hmm. that colleagues of mine will bring forward. Yes. And on the other side, I will also say that you've got a, a newspaper like The Guardian who, I mean, very, very rarely will bring an article that says anything negative about either the EU or the Labour campaign for that matter, so it's, it's really complicated for people to figure out what is true and what is not true, what is information and what is disinformation. And the same thing about this story that you have, and I've spoken to people who will be very honest about it, who says, basically, I'm a Brexiteer because I think we should get rid of basically all rules so that we can, you know, have a different type of society where workers' rights or environmental issues will be dealt with in a market sort of way. And uh, that will make us so competitive that everybody on the island will become rich and that we don't need a tax system to do that because there will be so, you know, the jobs will be great. We will have an abundance of work to be done. Um, And some of us will become very rich, but we will, I mean, the idea that we will share this wealth with our employees and, and so forth. I mean, you you don't have to look very long for that. I've got, you know, good friends who are of that belief and who will, and when you say that, well, history hasn't really shown that's going to be the way. And then they say, well, we are making history. We are, we are showing the way. and And they have a very firm belief that this will be the result of this. And that's so seems- also why why they're saying that this type of Brexit that we're seeing right now with a complicated deal with the EU forget about that we just want a clean break.
2: So it seems like it's this tearing one system down and moving into another but also at the same time reminiscing about the the glory the glory days of the global empire.
1: Absolutely and and uh- a longing of going back to when life was less complicated, and people, of course, have an, a tendency to romanticize uh, this enormously, and, and forget that there were things uh, back in the old days that weren't that, you know, good. Um, but, but, but certainly, um, dare we say, make England great again? Oh yeah, but but you will find that you will. Yeah. Find I'm not blend. swapping my iPad for a yo-yo. <laughs> no 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 but, but but it is definitely there will be plenty of people and you can find it among people that are wealthy among the uh, working poor you will find it in the north of england where you know the um, the quality of life or the social issues are are much more prevalent and they will say we just want england to be great again we want england to be like it was in the old days and again you know there is always this thing what is the old days and the old days yeah,
2: exactly.
1: were more complicated than mm. they are remembered i think
0: kim we talk a lot on this podcast about trust and um there's a strong belief uh, i know in in this country that um that the media and if you watch something on the news or you read something in the newspaper it is it is the truth it may be the writer's version of the truth but it is that it is a truth. There seems to be so much disinformation, both in the UK and America. Where does that come from? What What's behind that? Well, I think one of the big issues and, and what really has become
1: an enormous problem is the fact that the owners of newspapers in this country, it's very much the same in the US, it also goes into television stations and so forth, radio stations, not mm-hmm. least, is that The point of doing it is not a a, um, publicist issue. I mean, it's not coming from a vision or an idea of informing the public. Much of of, of what the owners of British media are people who are seeking power and they're using journalism as a tool to reach power.
2: Yeah.
1: So it's, it's not a publicist view that we will need to enlighten the people so that they can become an active part of the democratic process. You know, all these fine words that just are fine because they're, they're right. That this is what journalism should do. What journalism in this country to a large extent has become is that it's a propaganda tool.
2: Yeah.
1: That we will show our version of what we say is the truth. And then, you know, you can, you can buy into that if you believe in our vision of the world and we will not confront you with alternative views. That is really a fundamental problem that is creating a lot of mistrust, to use that word that you, you um, referred to before.
2: And what would need to happen to recapture the kind of objectivity of journalism uh, would it be an outcry of people that they're tired of this fake news paradigm, or would it be the power brokers who are owning these to be forced out? Epiphanies. <laughs> yeah, I, I
1: I, yeah, I think it's a combination. I think it's a combination. You know, as long as as people buy it, it will be it will be fabricated, and and I think that is. Uh, I just think it's a, a problem, and it's a problem also because. You know, one thing is you can say this happens on, on newspapers, but of course, right now it also happens, a, you know, to a, a wild extent on social media where um, people, you can find what you want. I mean, you can find your version of, of what what's going on or what is, um, you know, what is Boris Johnson saying. You can You can find basically the analysis you want
0: somewhere on the Internet. Do you think that's a, a real problem that as, as humans we have a tendency to keep searching until we start reading the thing that we most want to be true?
1: I think it has become an enormous problem uh, I, I think it always probably has been but it's it's just been so much easier for us to find the version that we believe is true and also because I think for a lot of people rightly think that you know living and, and, and figuring out how this world actually functions is complicated. Um, So, I mean, for just, let's just take this idea that you, you, and you hear it again and again, they say that, you know, I, I have a, I have a friend and he says he's got a, uh, he's got a British car and, and he's very concerned with the fact that if it won't be produced in the same way and, and he feels that it's not as good as it was in the old days. And I say, and I say to him, but there is no such a thing as a British car. I mean, it's it. It might be you know it might be invented here, but it's hmm. not owned by Brits anymore. It's not produced in Britain exclusively. It's produced all over Europe, and then it's maybe um, it's maybe put together here. But the idea that you've got sort of will down the road who invented a car and then he and his friends will put it together in their right. little factory. And of course, it's a nice vision of the world. It's 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 easy and you can, if, if the car breaks down, you can go down the Will and say, I want it fixed. And that's just not how the world works anymore. And you can say that's a bad thing, but it's it's just reality. And, and I think, you know, to think that if you leave the EU, that Will and his factory will come back is a little like, you know, trying to stop the wind with your hands. Do
2: you think, do you think this is the uh, last kind of Brexit and what's going on in the United States, the last attempt to try to say that I don't want this to be the reality um, instead of saying how come we create solutions and meaning in this new reality?
1: I don't know. And, and I think we will probably see more of it um, around the world um, because people are being challenged and um you know it also there there is also i think a longing from some people for instance in britain to go back to a time where it was just you know you could if you send your daughter out to dance you would be pretty sure that she would come back with a guy that was uh maybe not called will but he wasn't black for instance or he was not Asian. i'm not saying that this country is more racist than, for instance, we have issues in in Denmark as well, as you know. Mm. But, but I'm just saying that there is a longing to a time that was different. And I think that longing becomes an easy path to deal with your frustration about a very complicated and stressful life. And I think that you will see that in other places as well. I mean, there is a reason. If you grow up in Sunderland or if you grow up in Blackpool, there are issues that are just difficult to solve. I mean, the social mobility in Britain today is lower than it was during the Industrial Revolution, which oh. is quite astonishing.
2: Yeah. Mm.
1: And and if, if you accept that as a fact, what what are you I mean, somehow these people gotta react. Yeah. And and you can react by believing in Uh, revolution or communism or you can react by believing in something else and I think I think basically what we're seeing is
0: reaction of the reaction of the disenfranchised
1: yeah and I'm not saying I mean the whole Brexit movement is not run by disenfranchised people because there will certainly be a lot of other people I mean some of the people we talked about before wants a society that is much less regulated but I'm just saying that there there is a tap into a, a feeling of, I mean, why should you, for instance, why should you vote for the same people that you have always voted for? Why should you do it? Because if you, I mean, if we accept that the definition of not being insane is, you know, doing the same and same and not expecting or expecting right. the outcome to be different. Right. I mean, for these people who've just voted the same way that their parents have voted and suddenly – You know, they were asked by again the elite to vote for Brexit or to vote for Remain because that's a sensible thing to do. And of course, it's pretty convenient to say that you know my life is not as as I would want it to be, and maybe it's not my own fault. Maybe it's people in Brussels.
2: Yeah, at some point you say, "Screw it! I have nothing to lose, and we need to just tear it down and try something else." And the next
0: opportunity to speak is coming up in the the general election. Um, the Brexit party have retracted themselves from that. Is that correct?
1: No, they haven't. No, they, they're going to stand. They're going to stand. Um,
0: oh, I've read but, some misinformation. But, <laughs> 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 You've been no, they,
1: they, they are going to stand what, who's, uh, I mean, Nigel Farage, the charismatic leader, if I may call him that, um,
0: you is is not need to
1: the first word. <laughs> is not going to stand in a constituency by himself. He says he's going to travel around. Um, he's tried, as you probably right, know, many yeah. times before. Um, this would be his eighth try. Uh, he hasn't managed to succeed before, um, which is also difficult in the English political system with first to the post. I mean, it, it's it's a little complicated to be elected. Um, but he's not going to stand. But they are going to stand in uh, almost, I mean, I think about 600 of these 650 constituents, they're going to stand.
2: So what are the potential outcomes here in the upcoming election and what, it, what influence do you think it will have on Brexit?
1: Well, I, I spoke to some pollsters. and they say, you know, if anybody tells you they know what's going to happen, To just, uh, you know, walk away because then they're full of (laughs) shit. That's like understanding Um, quantum physics. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, there are are issues. I mean, you could certainly see a conservative government under Boris Johnson return with a majority. And then, you know, we will have the deal um, going through parliament pretty quickly right after New Year's. He says before Christmas, I don't think that will happen. But right after New Year's and then, you know, we'll we'll move on to the next phase. I mean, the whole idea of then we'll get Brexit done. Forget it. I mean, then the complicated things started is are starting like negotiating a trade deal, which is, will be very complicated. And then at the end of next year, we'll get back to the line that if there is no trade deal, then you leave without a deal. So. So, I mean, it's just. Um, That's if Johnson and on.
2: the Conservatives win. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, if. Labour wins, um, things will become uh, more complicated. Um, the Labour policy on on Brexit, as you might know, is is not as straightforward. <laughs> um, and uh, and and I think sort of the the issues in Labour are, are not. I mean, they they have they've certainly have or they do have their own issues and their own problems finding out, you know, what kind of society do do they want to create? I think there's an enormous infight. And, and you would say on the normal times, Labour would be ahead in the polls by about 30 points right now with the mess that the Conservatives have made the last years.
2: Yeah, but, what is the data show right now?
1: Uh, they are behind sort of anything behind,
0: between 7 and and 12 points. And is that because um, Liberal Democrats have picked up more, or just because there's no faith in um, there is in the Labour? There are there are there are many people
1: who have no faith in the leader Jeremy Corbyn. Mm-hmm. I mean, they simply do not trust that he would be a prime minister who would take the country forward. Um, I mean, I, I'm quite astonished by how many people I will meet who say that they are. They have always voted Labour, but they won't this time simply because they do not trust the leadership.
0: Yeah, I've heard that a number of times, and it seems like an odd thing um, to have happen when all they really need to do is put a a firm, um, believable leader in to to sweep the board. Seemingly.
1: Yeah, but but I I think you know we've we've talked about a the war on a vision. In Great Britain, I mean, that war also exists within the Labour Party uh, as it exists within the Conservative Party. But it certainly also exists within the Labour Party. There are a a large part of the Labour Party um, that have a sort of a very uh, a vision of a a real socialist country coming out of this election or, or seeing that in the future. Who will have beliefs that that are? Um, I mean, I I talk to people, I talk to some people who are you know high up in the labor system, and and they will say to me, for instance, that they think that people were better off in the former DDR, I mean, the former East Germany, than they are in Germany in in the eastern part of Germany today, before the um, mm-hmm. before the fall of the the Berlin Wall. People who will say that they think that. Uh, Hugo Chavez in Venezuela is a man of honor and a guy who completely were on the right tra- track had it not been for the US. I mean, things that at least for some people are extreme or will say that is not kind of the vision that we see um, who talks about nationalization of big companies and, and so forth. And then you have the much more pragmatic old center of labor, the playwrights, if you can use that word, mm-hmm. who um, I mean, I know that I can't say this, but but I think that you had you had a figure on the centre like Tony Blair, uh, Labour would definitely win this election, mm-hmm. um, because I mean Boris Johnson is is a dividing figure, and 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 he will have his issues, and
2: yeah. Kim, there was uh, a lot of people I talked to that saw 2016 as this kind of tearing of space and time with the Brexit vote and then the Trump election and that they're hoping, amongst all hope, that there will be a second referendum cancelling Brexit and that Trump will be impeached and removed. (laughs) What are the odds of either one of those things actually coming to fruition?
1: You know, one of the good things, or one of the things that I always try to really uh, maintain as a journalist, and I say, you know, that you will have to leave to somebody else. I mean, I will tell you what <laughs> what other people are saying or what could happen, but the chances of that happening, I have no idea. I mean, there is a possibility of both, but it would take an enormous amount of things to fall in line. And, you know, it's, it's difficult to say. I mean, you can have a new referendum and you can certainly have a new referendum if Labour wins. I mean... It will, if, you, if, you, if you'll allow me, because, and, and that just so shows the complexity of it, to explain the Labour policy on Brexit right now. The policy is that they are going to travel to EU, they are going to negotiate a new deal, then they're going to go back, then they will have a new referendum where the people can choose between the new deal Labour has made and remaining in the EU And they are going to advocate probably to remain in the EU. So they're going to EU to negotiate a deal that they do not think is as good as staying in the EU. I mean, that's just complicated.
2: (laughs) That sounds like a lot of of politics.
1: Yeah, and it's complicated to explain on the doorstep, you know, when you're knocking on doors in in whether it be Watford or Newcastle and say, ma'am, this is our Brexit policy. Uh, you know, bring out your coffee because it'll take me just a little while to explain it to you.
2: Yeah, <laughs> but let, Let's say that actually, you know, what I'm interested in too is that, let's say the, the a second referendum happened, Brexit's canceled, Trump's impeached and removed. What are we, what world are we left with in terms of objective journalism and also, you know, addressing the underlying issues that brought about these events? Uh, has there been any progress since 2016 so that going forward... It doesn't happen again. No. Yeah. I don't, so that, I don't that's think kind so. Of what my and and I, I think so.
1: Too. I mean, just and and I don't want to get into the politics of this because, um, you know, you can always argue for one side or the other. And I work in an institution. I I'm very aware of that, that I do not. I mean, I have no view on whether it's a good idea or not. Uh, leaving the EU is a good thing or not. I mean, I you can argue for both right. things and I will inform you best I can but I have no view on it. I do have, but I will tell my partner, my kids that and nobody else.
2: (laughs) You're lying.
0: I don't think the average person in Britain could um, list the benefits um, entirely of remaining uh, or, and certainly can't list what will happen if we, uh, if we leave.
1: No, 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 but, and and my point will also be that I think, you, you know, you, you, People will, they, they live in a strange world if they think that these two things will happen and then everything is good. I mean, because um, the Trump supporters will still be there if you think they are a problem. The Brexit supporters, they will definitely be here if you think that, you know, a new referendum where you win by 51-49 and then you're going to stay in the EU. I mean, that would create an enormous uh, an enormous wave of anger and frustration, and also, I mean, to be quite frank, also a big democratic, you know, question: Are you going to then do, you know, best of three, or, um, I mean, it's yeah. not really, yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. how how do you deal with that? Because there is frustration, and there are certainly people who, after all this trouble. I mean, you remember that after all this trouble in Britain, after all the uh, um, forecasts of what will happen, there is not a big majority for remaining in the EU, not today. I mean, it's not like there's a watershed of movement and people have realized. oh, we made a huge mistake. No, it's just let's get on. We, we, we are British. We can do this. It's we, the same
2: with Trump's approval rating in the United States. No, exactly. After all this, it stayed around forty-two percent, yeah, and nothing in terms of his overall popularity has really shifted.
1: No, and uh, I and I think I, I think everybody has to realize that, and um, it's just a fact that some of the underlying issues or whatever it is, but you've got to accept that these people are real people with real opinions and their opinions are just as valid as yours, you might not agree with it. But, but I mean, unless you have a strong connection to something above, I mean, you gotta be, you know, who is to say that you're right and they're wrong?
2: Kim, I had alluded it to before, uh, when he was talking about Denmark and trust, and we talk about it, how that is kind of the key to underpinning uh, all the Danish values in a way. Um, is, is that the remedy for societies like the, U, uh, the UK and the United States that trust is the only way forward? And also when we talk about it, eliminating the efficacy of fake news and these things?
1: Yeah, I, I think that is. And now I'm, you know, I've got to be careful here about not getting pulled into politics. But I think I, I think we keep, trying,
2: you, we keep trying. Yeah, yeah I,
1: know, I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, no. I, and I appreciate that. Um, Listen, if you, as I do, I live in London. I live in a very affluent part of London. I live in a very affluent part of this country. If you travel a little north from here, Mm -hmm. or, I mean, you, you, you only have to take the train an hour away, and you can find people who have absolutely no chance of ever coming to live in in this kind of environment. Mm -hmm. I mean, where I live, I have within a five minute walk, I have a Maserati dealer, a Ferrari dealer, a um, people will drive here, either the best restaurants in the world um, to live here, even to pay the rent. It's just, uh, you know, it costs a fortune. Yeah. And at the same time, you have people living not that far away who the idea of you know, their kids having an education that will take them anywhere is just a dream that is very far away. And as long as that exists, as long as you've got Grenfell Towers,
2: mm-hmm.
1: the, the um, building that burned down, which was built in a way that was just a big fire trap, you got that less than a mile away from where I live then people are going to be, you know, they're just going to feel, you know, disenfranchised. And I, and I think yeah. one of the issues that, or one of the things that we have had success with in Denmark is to say that there has to be some sort of, of connection between the different parts of society. You live in Ginza, which is a nice part of the country. But mm. it's not like you I mean even if you go an hour away, it's not like you will be in complete poverty mm. where where you, right. you know meeting people who have actually teeth in their mouth is a you know will be difficult and you you know I mean you go here and it's it is like that you've got yeah. poverty in Britain that you will not find, for instance in Denmark anywhere
0: yeah I um I remember that I was I was in the UK when, when the Brexit announcement came and um, I worked with partners in, in law firms and accountancy firms primarily and the day of the vote um, where it came in the day before it was like it, this isn't going to happen and then they all came in the following day pulling their hair out and it wasn't oh no what are we going to do the story was I'm going to be fine um, my clients are going to be fine because what we do is we work out how to be fine and but it's all it's going to do regardless of what we do is it's going to impact the toothless more than it impacts me and my clients because we will find a way because because that's what we do we can read and we can write and we can find out what's going to happen then we can turn our boats in in that direction and my feeling is regardless of which way anything goes the division will remain in the uk and it, it there won't be a, a, a filter down system and if there is it will take a, a very 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 long time because it what's required is a re-look at how it's done like it's done in Denmark, where the focus is actually how do we treat the least among us?
1: Britain is a class society. I mean in a completely different way than uh, many other European countries. I mean the mm-hmm. division between people that are wealthy and 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 not are just enormous and and of course some people will say that's a good thing and it gives is a certain, a certain dynamic to society, but it certainly also creates extremes. And I think, you know, now we're talking about uh, the Brexit vote, but you can also say it about the, I, I, I think if sort of, if, at least if you accept that that is far from the middle, I mean, the, the left of the Labour Party, which is a very, very strong party, uh, or part of the party right now, I mean, their views of a society are also for most people extreme and would be extreme. And then in Danish terms, um, I mean, they would be, mu- I mean, left to any party that is in the Danish parliament.
2: Well, Kim, uh, it's been a fascinating first half here. And um, I know we keep talking, but I'm mindful of. Your time, And uh, we're going to take a quick break, hear a word from our sponsors, and then we're going to come back with the quick fire round to wrap up the podcast today. Studying for an executive MBA at Henley Business School in Denmark is an intense and rewarding experience. If you want to achieve the best possible outcomes in business and in life, Henley can give you the skills and knowledge you need through the Henley MBA. For more information, visit henley.dk.
0: Okay, we are back with... Kim, for our quick-fire round, the, the questions are going to be quick-fire. Your answers certainly don't need to be. <laughs> Do you have any uh, habits, routines, or, or rituals that you perform daily to keep yourself physically or and or mentally sharp? I uh, meditate
1: for 20 minutes every day. Um, try to... Uh, Close my eyes at one point and leave uh, mentally this uh, environment for a while and um, and think and and it's it's something that uh, I've done uh, for some years and I really uh, I really enjoy it.
0: And how do you uh, go about it? Is there a particular type of meditation that you do? Or? Yeah, I went.
1: You know, I, I I'm not very sort of uh, I'm not completely into all the different ways. I went to a course here Mm -hmm. in London, actually, uh, for a weekend and then uh, some evenings after that. And then every now and then I will go to the same group of people and we will do a meditation together. I don't do that often anymore. I I used to do that a bit more. But otherwise, um, I have a... I have a mantra and then I will sit down wherever it can be in a plane. It can be in a, here in my office where I'm sitting right now. It can be, uh, in my bed. Although that is a little, uh, challenging because you can fall asleep. Quite easily, um, yeah. <laughs> um, but I will, um, it's, it's very, it doesn't take much and I'm not, I'm not sitting in a specific posture. I just have to sit up. And and it's twenty minutes where um, I sort of think about all sorts of things, and and you just let your thoughts roll in, and um, and uh, it
0: it feels good. And is it is it TM? Is it your own mantra, or were you given a mantra? I was given a mantra.
2: Now, Kim, for, would you why would you recommend meditation for people who are um, in your your line of business?
1: I would actually recommend it for anybody who's busy, or maybe anybody, but but especially if you are a little busy. I think it 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 gives you sort of a a a small space where you settle and and you collect your thoughts and 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 you leave some of the things that can become very nitty gritty, or you know you can get frustrated with. Uh, a computer that doesn't work or an email that didn't come back as quickly or somebody you wrote and they didn't reply whatever i mean these things that in the grand scale of things are not really uh the things that will decide whether you when you close your eyes in many years and think was that a good life or a bad life um they probably won't come in into that and, and it just for me at least um it just gives me a space where i can um almost treat myself a little and treat my own mind and say okay now you just you just do what you want for the next 20 minutes and i'll tag along and uh, i'll be fine and when i come out of it i sometimes i feel you know very refreshed sometimes not but but it's only 20 minutes and i guess if it's if it works sometimes, why not do it? I I think, you know, it's 20 minutes where I probably otherwise would have been on, you know, my Facebook account or checking emails or Mm -hmm. probably something that wouldn't change my life.
2: Now, do you use it also? I know you're a big golf guy. Um, Yeah. Do you you, you use it to kind of zone in when you're in on the course?
1: No, not really. I, I don't. I've always been very good. I was a sort of an elite sportsman when I was young and I've always had a very good, I've got a good ability to sort of concentrate, which is also, I mean, I've used that professionally um, being a, a, an anchor presenter for for so many years. Um, And I think most of the people that I work with, have always said that, uh, you know, you never get nervous or I, 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 seldom get nervous. And if I am nervous, it's not very visible. And, uh, I will deal with it in a way that's that, that is okay. And that's really not got anything to do with meditation. And I think that is the skill that I sometimes use in golf, not always.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Kim, have you ever undergone any one experience or event, uh, or maybe an interview or a specific, anything that profoundly changed the way you uh, you saw the world or the person you are. I know we were talking off air about you were, you're part of the anthrax scare after 9-11 where you got antibiotics for, wasn't it, 68 straight days? Yeah, exactly.
1: No, yeah, and and, and I've, you know, the day of, of 9-11 um, when I lived in Washington, and I, I actually remember leaving My home and and leaving my family, and 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 you know there were all kinds of rumors at that stage about how many planes were in the air, and there were rumors about soldiers seen in Norfolk, which is a a um, sea town where the big military base, a little south of Washington. Mm -hmm. There were rumors that there was you know foreign military seen there, and I remember thinking. I wonder when I will come back and see my family and what kind of world we will be living in then,
2: mm. which
1: was such a strange thing that I think in my generation, at least we hadn't experienced before. It was, it was something like, you know, is this going to change everything forever? Um, and then, I've, you know, I've had things that, that has profoundly, my dad died when I was pretty young. Uh, I got divorced which was also uh, definitely changing my life and, and changing things in many ways. Yeah. Um, and um, I've had very, very close friends who left this world um, too early. Um, so there are things like that. Um, yeah.
0: Just a pivot. Um, what's something weird about you? It might be a strange skill or behavior <laughs>
2: That's that's quite a (laughs) pivot. Yeah. Um,
1: (laughs) You know, if you ask my kids, they would certainly say that the habit that I can sometimes have (laughs) of watching on television. what a, you know, these these clips where people have recorded their own misfortune when they fall in a ditch or <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you've been
0: framed and things like that,
1: yeah, 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 funny home videos or whatever yeah, it's called, yeah, exactly. And I can get stuck and I really laugh, and and it's quite <laughs> embarrassing, um, you know, but but seeing a kid fall down and hit their head in the swimming pool, I, I, I have a tendency to laugh. And I'm uh, very Kim, embarrassed about it, actually.
2: This is the dark side of you, Kim. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Kim, you, if you're invited to a, uh, a dinner party and you can invite two people from history, alive or, or dead, who would you invite and why?
1: Depends on whether it should be a very pleasant evening or just a very... I think, uh, you know, I, I could easily say two picks that, that um, would be... Mandela and Gandhi mm. um, I think that would be a very peaceful and and, and nice dinner um, I could also say that I would find it extremely interesting to sit next to Mao Tzong, mm. um, and um,
2: Napoleon Can I ask why uh, Mao and Napoleon?
1: Because they sort of profoundly changed the world and they did it in a way that um was cruel and calculated i think sort of out of pure lust for power mm. and um i mean they they are pro- you know if i thought more about it maybe but in some ways they are sort of the complete opposites of mandela and gandhi
2: i think that's why That'd be an interesting uh, four to have at the same table, actually. Yeah. yeah, 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 A good <laughs> so, foursome on a golf course. Yeah, board. yeah, exactly. You're going to play scramble. Together. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Um, did you have a, a teacher or mentor when you were younger that, that that most influenced you?
1: I had a I had an editor when when my way into journalism was a bit um, unusual in the way that I was studying law at university. And uh, then um, I always wanted actually to be a journalist, but it was not possible at that time in, in Copenhagen. And then I applied at, at the School of Journalism. I didn't get in, which made me furious for many years. And I, I still, you know, very peddly Gotcha. I no, no, but, I mean, they, they have now asked me many times to come back and speak, and I always said, you had your chance, forget <laughs> <it."> <laughs> You know, and, and uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's just show sure what a small character I am, but but um, I, I then worked at a, a magazine, a monthly magazine called Press, and I had a, the, the, or the founder of the magazine, was a very, very bright guy and had a relentless lust for um, doing a little more and getting a little better. And um, it was an enormous inspiration. And uh, I think when I look back at it, he taught me a lot. I mean, that was basically, I was educated in journalism on that magazine um, instead of at the school. And, And he was a big part of that.
2: Excellent. Do you have a a quote or value that you kind of helps you make uh, tough decisions by in life?
1: I have some very, very close friends, um, and I know that they, my relationship to them and my relationship to my family is basically what decides whether I'm happy or not.
2: Hmm.
1: I mean, work is fine, traveling and r- around the world as I've done very much is great and I enjoy that and it's a big part of me. But I know at the end of the day that what determines whether I feel good and um, whether I will feel as a successful human being depends on my close relationships with the people that I love. And and that, that is that is that is in many ways a guidance to me for many things, which also means, um, because at a point when I lived in the US and also now living in Britain, which has, is fantastic, and I know I also can do that for some years, and then I have to go back for a while, because I don't want to get into a situation where every time I meet my close friends or my brother and sister, we start talking about things that we did a
0: long time ago. I want us also to talk about the present. What um, what book or books have you most gifted or been most influenced by? East of Eden, mm-hmm. Steinbeck, which I think
1: is just a phenomenal book. And what did you take from, from that book? I like his writing and I just like his worldview and I like the way that he portrays people um, in, in a way that... I think always great writers do Um, the same with a guy, you know, writer like Hemingway. I mean, if you, if you read the old man at sea by Mm -hmm. Hemingway, you've got this pathetic old man who's, who's, you know, absolutely useless at anything, um, who is ridiculous. He's treating his surroundings appallingly and you cannot help but feeling sorry for him. And, and I, I think that's just an amazing ability to to write about human beings so that they will become interesting and and uh, something that will move you even though they basically are assholes. It's amazing, the depth of character. <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly.
2: Gives yeah. hope for us all, Kim. <laughs> exactly,
1: exactly. But that's exactly it. That's exactly
2: it, yeah. Kim, uh, we're going to wrap up the podcast today with one final question, which we ask all of our guests, and that is, what do you think Denmark can teach the rest of the world, now that you've traveled the world, as you said, and what do you think uh, someone like you can teach Denmark?
1: Um, The last thing first, I, I don't know what I can teach Denmark, but I think certainly Denmark, I mean... You know, Denmark is a very nice place, and it's a, we've created a very decent society that has a tendency also to be a little boring. Um, and and I think when 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 I think we can easily sometimes also get into our own little Nordic um, self-loving um, place where we think that everything Danish is great and everything that comes from abroad is somehow a challenge to the Danish society, and I think you know it's so important for a society like ours to open up and be uh, aware that um, there are billions of people living somewhere else, and some of them are very smart and very good, and they invent things or they live in a way that can teach us a lot, and uh, and I think that is just very very important, and if we lose that ability to take in and and be open to our surroundings then i think we have a difficult future and i think on the other hand i think denmark can teach other societies a lot about decency actually and 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 i mean politically decency not not in a way human i mean i think danes are actually in a funny way uh, awfully unpolite but but i think it, as a society we are a very decent society And I think we can teach, you know, whether it's America or uh, England or um, basically anywhere else in the world. We and others, the, uh, the Scandinavian countries have managed to create a society where there is an understanding that if we are to be okay, then all of us more or less have to be okay. And um, and in the long run, that will create a society that is much more harmonious and um, where we will have issues and problems, but they are somehow, uh, I mean, they're solvable. It was interesting. I had a colleague of mine, a good colleague of mine from Sky, who was in Denmark uh, to watch the Danish election last time, and he came back astonished by the way that people would actually sit down and talk about issues without you know only trying to be stupid and and I think that is actually a I thing that we with all our faults and all our issues also politically that we have maintained still in in this age,
2: Kim bilsen lesson. that was uh, well said and uh, a true pleasure. Thank you for coming on the podcast today. It was a pleasure to talk to you guys. Before we go, is there anywhere where audience can find you or follow what you're doing?
1: Well, they can certainly find me. <laughs> That's it. Danish television, Danish radio. Um, I also have a Facebook page and I'm also on Twitter. So uh, there are plenty of ways to get in in touch or to follow my work and luckily enough a lot of people do but
2: more more people are welcome excellent well thanks a lot kim and uh yeah maybe we'll see you uh, over here in copenhagen or we'll have to call in again and get a status update on how everything's going
1: absolutely thank you very much guys
2: right, thanks, thanks kim. kim and to our audience don't forget to jump over to itunes spotify stitcher radio wherever you get your podcasts please Rate, review, subscribe, whatever you can do to help our podcast continue to grow, where we drive conversations that open up Denmark to the world and the world to Denmark. See you next time on The GDP. Are you getting the most out of your time in Denmark? Pick up the printed copy of the English-language newspaper Copenhagen Post today to access relevant news and event information guaranteed to enhance your working and family life.